Well, let me start off with this opening paragraph from our lesson notes. The conclusion of this lesson bears a challenge to those in spiritual leadership. Why have we failed to see spiritual victory in the lives of those we're desiring to help or lead? Because often this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Failure, according to E.M. Bounds, has resulted from a lack of trust or a form of weakness of faith and in turn from a lack of prayerfulness. If we expect God to move to meet spiritual needs through our ministry, we must, much, we must be much more on our knees in a private communion with God. Neglect of the inner chamber is the cause of most spiritual failure. And I do believe he's right. The neglect of prayer, as he calls it, the inner chamber, is the, the root cause of most spiritual failure. Uh, we, the Bible says, we have not because we ask not. So in other words, we don't even know what we're missing completely by uh, a lack of prayer. As we get started here, um, in my notes, I don't think this is in your notes, but in my notes, I have a little biographical sketch of E.M. Bounds' uh, life. Is that in yours? Did they, did they include that? I didn't look very closely at your handout, sorry. Uh, I think Rachel printed it. Is there a biographical sketch in there? No? Okay. So let me give you a couple of highlights about E.M. Bounds as we get started. And while I'm giving you these highlights, you be thinking, um, I want to start off with some questions that you might have right off the bat because I want to see if your question is already going to be answered with where we're going. And if it's not, then I'll try to make sure we answer it. Okay, so if you read the, the lesson, lesson number three, prayer and trust, uh, then if, if you have a question, we'll get to that right off the bat and then we'll get into things. But E.M. Bounds lived during the Civil War. And I, I, I don't think I knew that or I forgot that, but I, I, uh, I was very interested to see, uh, read his testimony. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing because it's like two or three pages long. But he ended up uh, ministering uh, around the Civil War. He was not, uh, he had not joined up. He was on neither side. He just was preaching in a Methodist church and trying to help and so forth. And then he found that he could, uh, he could be more effective. Um, well, let me back up. He got captured and imprisoned uh, as a spy. They took him for a Confederate spy. And so he was imprisoned and endured horrible uh, conditions in the, in, the, uh, in the prison there. When he got out, he said, if they're going to take me for a Confederate, I might as well be a Confederate chaplain. So he joined up and became a Confederate chaplain. Where's Bud Fry? Bud, give him grace, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, praise the Lord for chaplains on both sides, right? I mean, I'm so glad that there were some chaplains on the, the Union and the Confederacy. So he joined up as a Confederate chaplain. And then I just read uh, of his, his, uh, his various stations. I mean, he was in Vicksburg through the siege, ministering to suffering citizens and, sh and soldiers. He was at, in Atlanta, during the big uh, burning and all of that, he was in all of that. He got, when, when, when in Atlanta, he took a Union saber to the head uh, and he had to go and get healed of that. Uh, he was in Nashville uh, State Penitentiary. Um, so this is his second time being imprisoned. 
Uh, but it talks about several revivals that took place. Revival fire fell um, among the city there in Nashville where 100, 150 people made uh, professions of faith. Uh, and, and when he got out, he just continued to preach. He never missed a beat. Uh, he saw scores of people saved right through the Civil War. By the way, that's another interesting study. I'm forgetting the guy's name. Ah, but there's a guy... Uh, who wrote a book about basically the revival that took place during the Civil War and how many people got saved, how many soldiers got saved during that time. Uh, so then he, he got out, and at the age of 41, he got married. So finally started his family and had three children. Nine years later, his wife dies, and it devastated him. Uh, it took him a while to recover. He then remarried at the age of 51, had four more children. Uh, so I'm assuming he married a younger uh, lady, had four more children, and then uh, his son died um, at, at one year and eight days old. And so this was a guy, I, I just want you to know some background about who's writing the book, okay? Uh, this is not just some guy who had some flowery words, because we don't really talk like him anymore. Have you noticed that as you've read the book? He described some things with words that I'm like, okay, we read that again. Nope, didn't get it. We'll read it again. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. But some, some of his phrases are a little bit different, and, and uh, it's actually very beautiful. I like how they talked back then. Um, but I want you to know he wasn't just some guy with flowery words and lofty ideas about prayer. This was a guy who preached and ministered during the Civil War, seeing people killed, ministering to the suffering and the dying, came out, started his family, his wife dies, he remarries, his son dies, and he just continued to be faithful and trust God and gave his life to prayer. The older he got, and this is interesting to me, it's the, it was in his later years that all of these volumes were written on prayer. He didn't write this during the Civil War. I don't think you'd have much time to do much writing, okay? Uh, he didn't write this early on in his ministry. He wrote, the, uh, he wrote this book and all of his books he wrote as an older man. And at that time, he was giving lots of his time. Uh, it says somewhere in here how much time, I can't remember. Oh, and then he, uh, he basically got kicked out of the Methodist convention. He was, he was too straight-laced, and, and the Methodists were taking a different turn. And so he had given his whole life to being a Methodist preacher. Next thing you know, he's out on his ear. He thinks he's done. Nope. Uh, other churches like ours said, hey, come preach for us. Come preach here. And his ministry flourished. Uh, he also was a friend of Evangelist Sam Jones. Anybody know that name? Evangelist Sam Jones. They were friends, and... God greatly used him. Uh, he never sought praise for any service rendered, even when it was rightly deserved. They offered him an honorary doctorate. He turned it down. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with honorary doctorates. But he said, no, I don't want it. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm here for. Uh, and uh, the last 19 years of his life, it is, there it is, for the last 19 years of his life, E.M. Bounds gave himself to intercessory prayer. He was deeply burdened because of the backslidden condition of his church. Think about the church back then. Think about the church today. I think we should be as burdened, if not more burdened. But he, he said, we've got to see revival. He was, he was also burdened about the lukewarmness of preachers. 
the moral decay of his nation and for the lost condition of his fellow countrymen. Interestingly enough, there had been a great awakening not even a decade before the, uh, before the Civil War broke out. And the Satan knows how to squelch a good revival. And we went to war. And so many of those guys who'd gotten saved died. But the revival continued, and men like E.M. Bounds came through and continued to preach and to pray. But he was, he was consider, concerned about the moral decay of his nation back then and gave himself to prayer. Uh, here it is. I knew I, I was looking for this, and I had not highlighted it. Here it is. He spent a minimum of three to four hours each morning in fervent prayer. Now, I'm not saying that thus saith the Lord, you must do that. I think that is something that we've got to be careful about. Um, Hudson Taylor got money in the mailbox. Therefore, I have to get money in the mailbox or I'm not a spiritual Christian. You, you ever do that? Uh, missionaries and missionary biographies are great to stir us to faith. Just don't try to necessarily just copycat. Make sure you're being led of the Lord. Let their testimony encourage you and encourage you to ask questions. Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to pray? Don't just copycat. I've tried that before. Believe me, it doesn't last. Every book I read, I would copy whatever the guy did. It lasts for two weeks, if that. Um, so don't just run out, of, run, run out of here and try to pray for three to four hours. You won't be able to unless God has done in you what God did in E.M. Bounds. But he prayed for three to four hours every morning, and uh, he prayed on his face. That was his position, laying down, prostrate before the throne of heaven. Now, many of us, we'd be sound asleep, okay? Uh, he was not. He was doing battle, spiritual warfare. He communed with his God in close fellowship and deep conviction. As a result of this life of prayer, he wrote eight books, including his most famous book, uh, The Preacher and Prayer. I have not read that. I probably need to. I think I have his whole volume of all of his books in my office. So I'll have to dig that out. Uh, but the earthly journey of this beloved saint of God came to an end in 1913 at the age of 78. A couple of quotes from him. First quote, Brother Bounds said, Revivals are among the charter rights of a church. A revival means a heartbroken pastor. A revival means a church on its knees, confessing sins, the sins of the individual and the sins of the church, confessing the sins of the times and the sins of the community. Well, he took things seriously. And then he says this, man, mankind, is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. In other words, he's, he's looking for people like you and me who will trust him, obey him, follow him. It's not some methodology that we need. It is a revival that we need. I was very blessed. Uh, if you want this, I guess it's just two pages. Uh, no, three. Three pages of biographical sketch. I can copy it off and give it to you if you'd like. Just a little bit of a, uh, a, a history on E.M. Bounds. But you know, someone who wrote everything that he wrote, that had to come out of something. There's just no way you can write all of the, the stuff he's written. The, the book we're looking at is a short book. He wrote volumes on prayer. And uh, he, he, now, now I, I realize more, boy, he, he lived through a lot. I think he probably learned how to pray on a battlefield. Think about that. Think about what he saw. The Civil War was just gruesome, just tragic. 
and yet he ministered faithfully as a chaplain uh, to those who were dying and saw revivals all the way through. Praise the Lord. So that's just a little bit of background. But before we get into chapter 3, prayer and trust, right off the bat, anybody have a question from the chapter that maybe you thought, boy, I hope he talks about this? Anybody? And if you don't, that's fine. I just want to make sure. Or a, or a comment from the chapter, something that was interesting to you or helpful. Uh, in the handouts, there should be the next week's chapter in the back. Or uh, if you check your email, we did email a couple of times uh, a link to download the book as well. All right. Well, this is talking about prayer and trust. And that means this lesson is going to be interesting. Prayer and faith. Uh, because you can take this different ways. You can cut this all sorts of different ways. I believe God's going to give me a million dollars. I believe it. I remember watching this video that got sent out on Facebook and they must have paid a Google ad or Facebook ad or something like that. This ad pops up and it's this evangelist standing in front of a private jet. And it's just beautiful. And he says, this jet costs so many umpteen millions and we need this for our ministry. Now we already have that jet over there and camera angle, there's his current jet. But that jet won't let me get anywhere in the world on one tank of gas. I want this jet because I can get anywhere in the world on one tank of gas. Think about how much more we can do for God. Think about how many more people we can see saved. And so I believe that we're going to have $15 million delivered and you send it to this address. I was like, wow. But it was the whole thing of, you know, he was praying for however many, I don't know, 15 or 150, I don't know how many million it was. Uh, and he believed it was going to happen and so forth. I don't Okay, so, so I don't know if he got it, by the way. I didn't hear the end of that story. Um, but sometimes we get a great idea in our head, and we think God's in it, and God's not in it. And we can say, I believe all we want, and uh, God's not in it. So uh, as we look at this, we, we need to be careful that we're biblically sharp to not fall off of the, the knife edge of truth, as I've heard it said. On one side, we take faith out of prayer. And we say, well, you can pray, but you can't know anything. Uh, praying is like walking around in the dark. You hope you stumble into something good. You know? I mean, that's how some people see prayer. Like, like it's totally lights out. Uh, that's one extreme. And then the other extreme is, you know, I believe this, I believe that, and whatever I pray for, I, I, I believe for, I have. I kind of name it and claim it, and people go all kind of crazy with that. But what does God want us to to learn from this, okay? Mark eleven twenty two says, Jesus answering them, said unto them, have faith in God. And as point number three, or chap chapter three, I should say, points out very well, prayer and faith are totally linked. And if you take prayer out of faith, you really have lost prayer. Um, and we're gonna see that in the end of this chapter, Lord willing, We'll go through just verse after verse after verse that just shows so clearly God expects us to pray in faith. All right? Uh, Mark 9, 29, he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. You remember that story? They went out to cast the devil out of this guy, the, the disciples did, and it didn't work. They came back discouraged, and Jesus says, he rebukes them for being faithless. And then he says, uh, guys, what happened here is you haven't fed your faith through prayer and fasting. 
You're just running around saying, be healed, and you know, all these things, but they hadn't prayed. They forgot about where the power comes from. It doesn't come from the disciples working on their hand motion, you know, or whatever. That's not the technique. This is the technique right here. Okay, if I can put it that way. The technique was get with God. Set aside your plate of food. Get serious. Pray. Seek God, because God's going to have to do this, not you. So faith and prayer come together. Um, you don't have to raise your hand to this. You don't have to even nod your head. Just answer it in your heart. Have you ever had a prayer you prayed and believed and it didn't happen? I, that, that, probably all of us can say yes to that. I'll go a step further. Did it hurt your faith? You know, this is what we're dealing with. This is what we're dealing with. Uh, I prayed, and I believed God, and I really, really believed. And it wasn't just me. It was Bob and Sue and Gene and Bill. and Bob. We all believed, and, and it didn't happen. And so now, oh, I don't know what to do. It hurts your faith. Um, the disciples dealt with this too. They ran back to him, and the demons didn't do anything. What happened? Oh, And, and the Lord says, have faith in God. This kind cometh not what by prayer and fasting. Don't lose your faith. Keep trusting me. Um, a lot of passages here we want to see, but first let's just get into uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Teaches us this, and I don't have all these verses on the screen. I just put the first couple. The rest should be in your notes, or you should have them in your Bible. I know you got them there. Uh, okay, uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a beautiful verse. Uh, faith is the substance. Substance, I can't, what do you mean? I can't feel it. The evidence of things not seen. Um, why? Because we know who we are depending on. We know who is, who is leading us, who's given us the word, who's given us the promises. We know the one that we're trusting. And faith really is uh, not just this nebulous thing when you're being led by the Lord. Faith, faith really is, uh, is weighty. And God expects us to have faith when we pray. Well, let's look at number one, uh, the fullness of trust. The fullness of trust. Again, Mark eleven twenty two. he says, have faith in God. I'm going to read some from the notes and some from the, uh, from the book. Uh, let's see here. Jesus clearly taught that faith was the condition on which prayer was answered. When our Lord had cursed the fig tree, the disciples were much surprised that its withering had actually taken place. And their remarks indicated that they were surprised. It was then that Jesus said to them, have faith in God. In other words, we shouldn't be surprised when God does what he says he would do. Um... John DeFere was here this morning and talked to me afterwards, and he said, uh, there's a group of, of people uh, praying for rain, but only one of them, they were praying at a park, I think it was, they are praying outdoor, only one of them thought to bring an umbrella. That's interesting, right? I mean, that's good. We're out at a park praying for rain, and nobody brings an umbrella, <laughs> except for one kid. Um, well, the disciples hear him curse the fig tree. They're like, ooh, he's mad. And they walk by, and the fig tree is dead. 
what in the world? Wow, I can't believe this happened. And God says, well, where's your faith? Your surprise is showing that you don't really have faith in me to do what I said I would do. He says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Well, preacher, that sounds like I can pray for a $15 million jet. That's what that sounds like to me. What do you guys think about that? Well, so, well, I mean, but hey, it says, what things soever, what things soever ye, oh, I just lost my place. Well, that whatsoever ye, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, not doubt in his heart, but believe, he shall have it, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So what's the balance? Anybody want to jump in on this? Anybody want to jump in on, on this one? Because this is the one we fight over and we have all kinds of fun with this. I can give you that, but my wife won't want to have it. <laughs> <laughs> I know better than that. I know she lets you have a lot, you know. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. I think as we pray for things, sometimes we come into more in tune with what his will is, and then our will can be bent based on, okay, this is what God's will is, and it is for me to have this, or it isn't for me to have this. And I know there were times that I've been praying a certain way that I thought would be aligned with what God's will was, and he really made it clear that's not what he was seeking to do. And he changed my prayer and really lined my prayers up more with what his will was. Yeah. And so that was an interesting thing to see. And so I think that um, yeah, if, if we will, if we, if we get from God that he wants this mountain moved, he can move mountains. And, you know, but it, that, that's because we're, we, we've, we've tapped into understanding of what his will is mm -hmm. and um, you've heard the missionary stories about you know the you know going across the coals and you know which doctor does it and the missionary does it and, and well the missionary better know what God wants him to do and if God wants him to do it he can walk across coals mountains can be moved but he has to discern is this really what the Lord wants me to do or is my want during fall yes a discernment and what you did there too you were alluding to other scriptures like the will of God and praying in God's name and so forth. Always remember that all the scriptures come together to help give us a fuller picture. Uh, and that's important. Every verse can stand alone, but every verse does have context and other verses help weigh in. And so I think the Lord is, in a sense, taking for granted here when he says that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and shall not doubt in his heart. I think he's taking for granted that we are coming into a union with his will and, and we're being led of him, his spirit, not just walking around like mountain out of here. Uh, you know, I, I want to build a house there and I want to save money in excavation fees. I really believe you should be gone. Uh, I don't think that's what God is talking about here. Uh, sometimes the mountain can be kind of figurative. I'm facing a mountain of a crisis, a mountain of a marital problem or whatever. And I need, to, uh, I need to, by faith, say, Lord, help me with this mountain. Help me to be able to move this mountain. Uh, maybe it's a mountain of unbelief in someone's heart. We're trying to pray for them to be saved. And it just seems impossible. There's no way in the world so-and-so is going to be saved. Lord, remove this mountain of unbelief from so-and-so's heart. And, and help me to come to faith about that and trust you to do it.
as good. Any other thoughts on this as we think about this balance? Because we don't want to take the teeth out of it and say, this verse doesn't really mean what it says. You actually can't really move mountains. I know that Jesus said that. That's not what he meant. No. Guys, we could probably all tell stories of mountains that we've seen moved in our own lives or someone else that we know of. Miracles in our own day in direct answer to prayer. So I, I beg you, don't go so far that you, that you lose this verse and you take the teeth out of the verse. But we do want to stay on the knife edge of truth. Other thoughts on this? You know, one thing I think that helps me is this. When I'm praying, I, I, I think it helps to, to remain humble and remember that you are, you are fallible. You are but dust. Um, but I do, when I pray, I do ask the Lord to stir me to believe and stir me to faith First of all, faith in him. That's the bottom line. But then even faith concerning what I'm asking for. And if I'm wrong, that's okay. I can admit it. Or if I need to be redirected, as Jason pointed out, sometimes God redirects. Um, I think we've got to be so careful not to assign uh, spirituality to this whole thing or to assign a lack thereof. You know, I heard Brother Barber was praying for such and such and it wasn't, God wasn't in it. Oh no. You know, we have an unspiritual pastor. Uh, no, you've got a human pastor. Okay. <laughs> but hopefully a humble pastor who could say, folks, uh, you know what? God's, God's redirecting here. I was praying for this and I really believed that God was in it. I really did. I believe God was in it. But God has shown me that he's, he's going a different direction. Uh, I think of, I think of uh, the story of um, uh, the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There we go. Couldn't get their names. And they are facing death, right? And they say, we know one thing. We know we're not supposed to bow down to anybody but God. We know we can't worship you, king. And we know our God is able to deliver us. And then they go further than that. They say, we believe he will. But if not, we still won't worship you. Now, somebody says, faith has no back door. Faith has no back door. I understand that. But were those guys given a back door? I would say they, there was no back door. I wouldn't call that a back door. I would call that an admission, a humble admission of their humanity. I believe that they really did believe God. And I believe that they really did believe he was going to deliver them. I think that they, they had faith about those two things. We believe God's in control. God is good. He is sovereign. He is great. We can trust him. He's faithful. And we believe he's going to get us out of this. But if not, in case we are mistaken, it doesn't change a thing. We can't obey you. We have to obey him. So I think staying humble in this is very, very important. And I know in my own journey, I have really struggled um, with insecurity about my spirituality based on my prayer life. And if you pray for something and it doesn't happen, oh, I start confessing sins and sins that I don't even have in case I have them. And, you know, and, just, and that's meritorious. 
That's, that's all meritorious and it's self-focused. Um, and then you hear of other people who prayed a prayer, it was amazing, and God did something great. They, oh, they're more spiritual than me. Not necessarily. No, it's about what God did more than it's about what they did. But we forget that. So I know I, myself, personally, I've struggled with a ton of insecurity uh, around my prayer life, but in regards to my, my relationship with God, my spirituality, if you will, because of this whole matter, and I think to me, what has helped me is I don't want to take the faith out of prayer. I don't want to go there. But I, I want to insert a lot of humility, okay, and teachability. God, you can direct me. You can lead me. You can change this whole thing around. I could get it wrong, and it's okay. I don't have to be embarrassed. I don't have to, you know, lose my faith. Um, I can trust that he will lead and he'll redirect, and I can keep following, and God will continue to, to use the situation in my life and others' lives. Thoughts on that? Other clarification or things you'd like to add on, on that point? Because that's one. Yes, sir. Don't you think that taking the King Solomon's approach to, you know, the search of wisdom instead of uh, riches, that you're better off because if God enables you to make good decisions and wisdom that you can handle more opportunities and, and, and better make decisions and putting your hopes into some asset or some earthly thing that doesn't last that long anyways here on earth. But when we uh, set, our, set our hopes and our, our, our wishes on wisdom and guidance and direction from God, you're, you're a lot better off because you can do it. I know it's going against sort of what they're teaching here, that, that you need to pray for stuff, and you definitely need to pray for people. But to, for, you know, to say that I'm going to pray for a jet, uh, to me, makes no sense. <laughs> you know, don't need a jet. A helicopter would do okay. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. I'd rather have the wisdom to make good decisions, and then those other things will follow. And sure. I just want to throw it in when you're, you know, when you're saying we're praying for these things. And, you know, it's just, I don't pray for things. I do, but I don't. You know, I'm not upset. I'm, I'm praying for this certain thing because I want something. I, I pray for people and health. But you also, when you pray for health, you say for, for uh, your, your, uh, your guidance and your wisdom in this person's life, you know, you pray just to heal them, you know, and it's not God's intention for that. You're, you're wasting your time. But I'm just saying, shoot for wisdom and, and direction from God, mm -hmm. and you're, you're a lot better off. And then you make good decisions on that. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong praying for wisdom. And, and we need to, and Solomon is a great example of that. Uh, and then as we're praying for wisdom and discernment and guidance from the Lord, then I trust he would give us the wisdom about, is there a specific thing I'm supposed to pray for? You know, uh, like I'll give you one that's close to home. Our building project, we have uh, plans and we're raising money for a gym slash education wing slash uh, eventually remodel out here. And, um, you know, I believe that God has led us every step of the way. I really do. Uh, do I believe that it's all going to happen exactly the way we draw it up? 
well, nothing ever happens exactly the way you draw it up, right? Uh, uh, but it doesn't have to happen exactly how we've drawn it up for God to have answered and for God to be in it. God could redirect completely. God could shut the whole thing down. I mean, who knows? We could lose our tax-exempt status and the government could go crazy and we could all be meeting in people's houses. I mean, uh, and uh, having a gym in somebody's pole barn. Uh, who knows? And, and that wouldn't hurt my faith. I would still say that we followed the light and leadership that we had for the journey that God had us on. Um, and, and again, I wouldn't go toward a building project, I hope, with just my wisdom. Boy, we sought the Lord's wisdom. And in seeking his wisdom and seeking his guidance and seeking his direction, then you have more specific uh, wisdom to know, is this what, something that God wants me to pray for and pursue? And to trying to get his heart. Because, yeah, our, our eyes and our heart, our eyes get big and our heart is deceitful. And many times we can spiritualize our own desires. Boy, if I just had, you know, this jet, what, what could I do for God? And if we never had to get gas, you know, hey, that guy made a great, great point. The jet that he wanted to buy could go anywhere in the world on one tank of gas. Well, you know, what can we do for God? I get the point. It all makes logical sense, but it might not be truly from God, right? But yeah, praying for wisdom is, I think, the place to start. Absolutely. Good. Any other thoughts on, on this point? Well, we've taken a lot of time on this point. Huh? Yes, sir. I guess when we start talking about this, my mind goes to Jesus in the garden. Who would, who would want to go through what he had to go through? Mm. That wasn't his human desire, so he prayed, Lord, if there's any other way, mm. let this cup of suffering I'm about to go through pass from me. Yeah. But that was where he's at personally, right? You're going to pray what the desire, your earnest desire is, nevertheless, not my will, but mine be done. And there's the humility. Right? That's, to me, that's ultimately along the lines of what Jason was saying, the Lord can read, you know, you're submitting your will to his, pouring out your heart, your desire, where you're at. You know, yeah. you, you take the next step, but you know what? Uh, to me, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were doing. But our God is able to save us, but if not, yeah. we're going to honor him and trust him and do what he wants us to do. That's good. And, and that brings to mind, uh, along with that, um, you know, Paul asked the Lord three times for a thorn in the flesh to be removed. It was not granted. Oh no, Paul's not as spiritual as we thought. <laughs> you know, oh no, Paul, Paul, what in the world? We thought you were a spiritual superhero. Now you can't even get your prayers answered. Uh, no, our, I think it's very important for us to, to recognize we don't hang our spirituality on this. And, you know, it's not about a competition. It's not my prayer life versus your prayer life. And, oh, he's a great man of God. Uh, uh, he can just, like, get anything he wants from God. And sometimes we, we do that. We think that certain people's prayers, God listens to more than other people's prayers. Now, they might get more because they pray more and you don't. Okay? You have not because you ask not. That's a real thing. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, even, even the Apostle Paul did not get his prayer answered. It did not destroy his faith. It was a matter of his humble surrendering to God's will. Yeah. Spent uh, since we moved here, there was a guy that, from the church in Chicago I worked at. He was getting ready to make a big decision. He was thinking about moving 
his family from the Chicago area down to the Carolinas. And to get involved more with the ministry he was interested in down there. And he called me for some counsel and he wanted to know, he's like, Lloyd, how do I how do I know that this is gonna work out the way I want it to? <laughs> That's what we want. And I said, You don't. Yeah. You know, you you take the step the Lord's leading you to make, but how that's going to turn out, you leave. That's what trust is. Yeah. You know, trusting the master. You take that step, he's leading you to take, and you yeah. trust him. And it, generally for God's people, it works out. It's fine. But I, I, said, I, I said, I don't know. Maybe you'll get down there and realize you shouldn't have left, and you'll come back. Yeah. I don't know, but it sounds like we need to do it. That's excellent. And you know what's interesting about that? <clears throat> that's where faith is built. It's faith that helps you take that first step. But then as you keep down that journey, that's where you mature. And I've been thinking a lot about the children of Israel as they went out of um, Egypt, because I'm rereading through the Bible and got through Exodus and Leviticus and so forth. And I, I, at first, I, I keep thinking about this pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. I think I've mentioned it in another sermon. Was it Wednesday night or something like that? Yeah, Wednesday, uh, during the Lord, Lord's Supper. Uh, and I, I've, I've just thought all my life, where'd that cloud go? Like, I wish that cloud was out that door, you know? Like, it wouldn't it just be great to have this visual reassurance? But the more I meditated on it, what we have is better. And uh, jumping into what you were saying about being led, we could say, wouldn't it be great if you just follow the cloud all the way to South Carolina? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like, you know, Lord, should I go? And there goes the cloud. Honey, pack the bags! Grab the U-Haul. We've got to catch up with the cloud. We're going to South Carolina. Man, you would know. But think about this, though. Here's the, the flip side of that. How spiritually immature were the children of Israel during that whole journey? For all the leadership that they had, for all of the visual sight that they had, they couldn't stop complaining. They couldn't stop bellyaching. Uh, they, they fought with Moses. They were jealous of Moses. They got swallowed up by the earth. For having all of this clear leadership, God is literally saying we're going this way and there's nothing anyone can do to argue it. There's no semantics you can pull. The cloud's going that way. They did not grow as deep in their faith, I believe, as we do today because we're having to get into the word we're having to follow his spirit. We're having to hear his voice. We're having to get on our knees. How much praying did any of those people do about where they were supposed to go each day? I'm going to say none. They got up. They looked up, honey. Pack it up. The cloud's moving. Boy, we're only here for two days this time. Last time it stopped for three weeks. That was nice. In the shade. Uh, two days. Pack it up, babe. We're going. No prayer. No Bible verse. Just follow. And, uh, you know, I think you gave the guy good counsel, Lloyd, that uh, you're not going to know how it turns out. That's the whole thing. <laughs> That's the whole deal. God's going to, God wants you to trust him for that first step and the next and the next, praying for wisdom and then making decisions and trusting God that even if I goofed it all up, he can still work it together for good. He can still work it together for good. Uh, because he loves us. Good thoughts. Other thoughts on this? Yes. Uh, statement that you read a few weeks ago about how when you make a commitment to something, God opens those doors. You know, as soon as you say, God, I think you're calling me to do this. I'm going to step out in faith. 
and then God will open those doors or shut them if He don't want you to go. It's it's obvious. It's not rocket science after you step out on that. God directs your path after you commit to something, whether He wants you to do it or not. Amen. You guys remember the Sandlin family getting stuck in Canada? And we were like, what is going on for this poor family? They had every door slammed in their face and paperwork getting thrown back. And you're just thinking, this makes no sense. And then we found out, no, God was slowing them down because of what was happening over there, what's happening in the world. And God was redirecting and God had this whole big thing that we eventually caught up to. But in the meantime, we're like, wow, this is rough. Um, uh, but God knows what he's doing. We have to trust him. I think sometimes, again, I keep going back to this whole thing of, of um, this supposed spirituality that we as associate with this. That we've got to stay humble on this. And, and sometimes um, our pride gets in here so fast. Someone says, hey, did you hear that so-and-so got saved? Wait, wait, wait. Who? Hang on, let me check my prayer journal. What time was that? I don't know, about, about 2.30 on a Friday. Whoa, 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 2.30 on a Friday? At that very same time I was praying. Oh, the Lord... Well, you know, if, those are great things when that happens, by the way. Those are great things. Just be careful. Sometimes our, our, our pride, we're human. Our pride can come in there and, I was the one that prayed, by the way, I prayed it Friday at 2.30. You know? Uh, every great miracle of God's associated with a prayer warrior. That just happens to be me this time, you know, and actually last time. Uh, and then the pride just kills the whole thing. Everything that God was doing, now it's man-focused. Now everybody puts you on a pedestal, and now they're coming to you, and they need to be going to God. Uh, so, so humility on this whole thing, is, I think, is paramount. Well, we've taken almost the whole time on the first point. Let's go to the next one, which is the flowering of trust. And there was a question, I don't know if you have it in your notes or not, but a question, what is trust? And the answer here that is given is grabbing a hold of the reality of God's word for oneself, taking it in firm possession and confidence. Just getting a hold of the word of God firmly. The flowering of trust, first of all, letter A, trust flowers in the prayer chamber. Trust grows nowhere so readily and richly as in the prayer chamber. Its unfolding and development are rapid and wholesome when they're regularly and well-kept. Uh, when these engagements are hearty and full and free, trust flourishes exceedingly. The eye and presence of God give vigorous life to trust, just as the eye and the presence of the sun make the fruit and flower grow, all things glad and bright with fuller life. In other words, uh, your prayer life will feed your faith. And I would dare say, if you're not praying regularly and actively, your faith probably has taken a hit. Prayer is the expression of faith as well. I mean, it, it, prayer and faith go together. If you're not praying, you're probably not trusting. Um, just to take five minutes in prayer, that is five minutes of a demonstration that God is on the throne and I need him now. 
and I am trusting him with things. Prayer is an expression of your faith. So uh, trust flowers in the prayer chamber. The prayer time is going to feed your faith, and the faith, of course, aids the prayer. Letter B, <clears throat> trust flowers through waiting in prayer. It says, quite often faith is too weak to obtain God's greatest good immediately, so it has to wait. has to wait until it grows in strength and is able to bring down the eternal into realms of experience and time. In other words, he's saying, look, sometimes God knows that your faith needs to strengthen over time. God does not always answer right away because he's doing a work in you. Even, I go back to this gym. Uh, the gym wasn't, boom, here's your gym. Wouldn't that be awesome? There's a gym. A donor comes up, $5 million. We'd miss out on a journey of faith. I mean, that, that'd be great, and we'd learn something, and if God does that, he'll have other ways of teaching us faith, right? God didn't do that this time. He's teaching us to trust him, teaching us to look to him for wisdom, for guidance, and, and, uh, and patience. Waiting in prayer is going to help build our faith. Now, it's interesting because you can look at letter B. You say, trust flowers through waiting in prayer. You, you, could, you could easily say, I don't know, I think it's the opposite. The longer I wait, my faith kind of gets shaky, right? It could go either way. But it doesn't have to go toward shaky faith. Waiting and waiting and waiting and then seeing that prayer answered, that deepens your faith like nothing else. Yes? Amen. Amen. Yes, be still and know and wait and not worry or fret. I was talking with Marie Place about some prayers that she's been praying for years that she's been waiting on. And she said, I know, I know God's given me these answers and I know he's going to do it. It's just his time. And, and she's just totally submitted to his time. And, uh, and, and yet not at all willing to relinquish what she prayed for. I think, I think that's important. Trust flowers in the prayer chamber and trust flowers through waiting in prayer. Don't let the waiting in, uh, discourage you. Let the waiting build further anticipation of what God is doing and wants to do. Letter C, trust flowers through focus on God himself. <clears throat> Have faith in God. Trust in the Lord. This, this, these phrases form the key foundation of prayer. And he says, not just knowing the Word of God, we need to know the Word of God, but that is so that we will know the person of God. Okay, the Word of God helps us to know God. And he says, we've got to know Him and, and let life teach us who God is, the experiences, the answers to prayer, uh, we're trying to get to know him. Going back to this morning's message when I talked about the burned out log cabin and the grandpa says to his boy, God ain't dead. It's going to be okay. Well, there was a difference of several decades there. The young kid hadn't seen God do much yet. The grandfather had seen God do all sorts of things over and over in his life and he could say, 
I know God. Kid, you don't know God like I know God. It's going to be okay. Boy, that, that, that thrills me, and that helps our prayer life when we are focusing on him himself. I think sometimes, going back to what Lloyd said, um, is it God's will to move to South Carolina or is it not? Sometimes we get so focused on the specific thing, and that's okay. you gotta, you got to pray about the thing, the direction, the need, the request. But we need to focus on God who is going to lead and say, Lord, I am praying about you know, this move or whatever it is, but I'm trusting you. I know you. You are faithful. You are light, and in you is no darkness at all. You are the good shepherd. You lead. You lead me to the water. You lead me to the grass. You love me. You are faithful. You are true. And I'm focusing on you to make this clear because of who you are, because of your character. Sometimes we, again, I think we do need to focus on the request, obviously, but don't focus on it exclusively. Make sure you're focusing on the God that you are entreating concerning that request. Trust flowers through a focus on God himself. Uh, in other words, your faith is built as you gaze upon him. And the request doesn't seem so impossible. You're praying for somebody to be saved. And it is just not happening. You focus on who God is. The one who has, who has given his son to redeem. The one who, who, who saved Paul. The one who saved uh, Rahab the harlot, the one who uh, has, has gone after the wickedest, most vile of sinners. You focus on that God, and that will encourage your faith to pray for that person. Trust, the trust which inspires our prayer must be not only trust in the person of God and of Christ, but also in their willingness <clears throat> to grant the thing prayed for. That's letter D. Trust flowers through focus on God's ability and willingness. Trust flowers through God's ability <clears throat> and willingness. In other words, we sing the song, He's able, He's able, I know He's able. Uh, he is able and willing to meet the need to answer the prayer. Um, <clears throat> it says, Trust ye in the Lord. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Trust is not a belief that God can bless or will bless, but that he does bless. Lord, I know that you are the prayer answering God. This is what you do. You hear prayer. You answer prayer. I know you can. I know, I know you will, but you're, you want to do this now. He writes, trust always operates in the present tense. Hope looks toward the future. Trust looks to the present. Hope expects. Trust possesses. Trust receives what prayer acquires. So that what prayer needs at all times is abiding, abundant trust. And our trust will flourish <clears throat> and flower through a focus on God's ability, his power. Sometimes we are overwhelmed with our weakness and the powers that be and faith fails, fades. But when we focus on God, you and the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord, you are able and you are willing and you are desirous 
of hearing and answering prayer, it helps encourage us to keep on praying. We're almost out of time, so let me hit the last one here. I got my pages all mixed up. One second. Okay, <clears throat> this, we're looking at letter th- number three, the failure, the failure to trust. <clears throat> so we read, I think we read Matthew 17, 17. Let me look at it again. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. And he goes on to say, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say to this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Uh, <clears throat> there is a failure in prayer that we need to take note of that is unbelief. Unbelief is the failure to trust. And in this case, maybe their trust and faith failed because they had not taken the time in prayer. He said you should have been praying and fasting to feed your faith, and your, maybe your faith wouldn't have fallen or failed. The point of this chapter is it's simple. It comes down to faith. It comes down to trust. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, 14 says, The word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Romans 10, 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. It is nigh, but we oftentimes, uh, we miss it. I want to give you some things in closing. <clears throat> Just dealing with the simplicity of, of faith uh, and, and as, it's, as it's wed with prayer. Several ones, I'm just going to read them straight out of the book here. Several illustrations of this. When Jairus came to the Lord, he said, Be not afraid, only believe. To the, to the woman with the issue of blood, he said, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. When two blind men followed him, pressing their way into the house, he said, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. When the paralytic man was let down to the roof of the house, what did Jesus say? It says, And Jesus, seeing their faith, said, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. There's a centurion and his servant was gravely ill. Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. There's a poor leper who came to Jesus and said, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus said, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. By the way, I like that one because... That wasn't like he came to the Lord and said, I have great faith that you will heal me now. (laughs) He just said, Lord, if you will, you can. In other words, he believed God was able and willing and he was beseeching him to do it based on his good character. And God says, that's enough faith for me. My faith has made thee whole. The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus with the case of her afflicted daughter. Lord, help me, she says. And he says, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Then there was another boy, and I got them all out of order here. There we go. 
And uh, 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 Jesus replies here, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. If you can believe, all things are possible. Blind Bartimaeus, what did he, he hear from the Lord Jesus? He heard these words, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. There was a weeping, penitent woman washing his feet with her tears, wiping them with the hair of her head. Jesus speaks to her, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Ten lepers came to Jesus. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. What does he say? Go, show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went means they went by faith. If they hadn't gone, it hadn't happened. As they went, they were displaying faith, and as they went, they were clean. You can't read the Gospels and not see a connection between faith and prayer. So I, 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 I hope that this has been helpful to us, folks, as we pray. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's pray for discernment. Let's pray for God to lead us. But then let's ask Him to, to lead us to that place of faith. In Him, His character, His person, His goodness, and also in the direction that we're supposed to pray. And be humble. And if you get it wrong, God loves you. He'll redirect you. If you missed something, He's not going to kick you out of the family. You don't have to, you know, uh, be, be on probation until you learn not to get it wrong. Uh, no, you're going to learn and you're going to grow in your faith. But let's not take the faith out of it. A lot of us, we have lost our prayer lives I shouldn't say a lot of us. I'm saying it happens to people a lot. We've lost our prayer lives because we've lost our confidence due to the fact that we got it wrong a couple of times. We prayed for things that didn't happen or maybe they just haven't happened yet. Okay? And then we say, oh, I'm just done praying. Or I'm going to pray totally different. My prayer life is going to be like this. Lord, whatever you want to do, please do it. And Lord, whoever you want to save, please save them. And Lord, you know what I mean. These great, big, sweeping, general prayers. I don't believe that's what God wants us to do. I cannot go there, folks, by reading this scripture. These scriptures we just gave of all of these instances, according to your faith, be it unto you. I just, we have to not let life and circumstances and the devil suck the faith out of our prayers. But let's not let the devil insert a bunch of pride either. Stay humble. Stay teachable, stay directable, and let God get the glory. Final thoughts, questions as we conclude here? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to commune with you in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to want to talk to us and fellowship with us and have us enter in with you in what you're doing in our lives and in our world. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful to pray. I, I pray that we would be full of faith in prayer, full of faith in you, and full of faith in the direction that you would have us to pray. Give us victory in our own personal prayer lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks, for being here. If you have that uh, lesson, you, you've got the book for next week. See if you can get that read. Uh, for next week, that'd be great.